Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering Season 7, Episode 7, titled Waterloo. Uh, a lot of stuff happened this episode. My God. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine that it was going to get started that fast. Yes. I mean, right off the bat, practically, you have Don getting his breach of contract letter. Right. It just freaking shocked me. Uh, what did you think about this episode as a whole? I know we did our instant cast, but we kind of didn't give our... Our overall impression, I guess. Uh, I think it's I think it's great. Okay. And one of the things I want to talk about, and I'm not sure if it's up front or if it's towards the end, or maybe it's next week, because we're obviously going to do a Mad Men wrap-up cast. Sure. But one of the things I want to talk about is how effective do you feel this episode and the episode before would have been if it was the series finale? Huh. Okay. Because... Alan Zeppenwall has been saying this for two weeks, and that was something that I was a big proponent of in, in Breaking Bad, that it was kind of a choose-your-own ending. You could go with, you know, uh, dark and depressing, or kind of <laughs> triumphant and fan service or somewhere kind of poignant and in-between, and you could just choose to Well, the say, dance number at the end of Breaking Bad really threw me. Right. So right. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't want it to have ended there because then it would have ended just like Breaking Bad. But that's a tribute to <laughs> Brian Cranston's long history on the sc- stage and screen. Sure. You've got to give them some leeway <laughs> for stuff like that. I thought it was a great episode, and I kind of tend to agree with him, that last week, ending with him and Peggy reconciling and kind of the student becoming the master, mm-hmm. and Don kind of on the, the, the way up but not all the way there would have been a great place to end it and also the the black curtain closing on the dra- the, the the latest draper marriage yeah that yeah. would have been all good stuff this would also i think be an effective series finale sure i sure. really do I, I and i think it could be i, I mean I, and i think that was kind of a mild criticism i had on instant cast that like how effective is this as a finale because i don't feel like I, oh God, I can't wait to see next season of Mad Men. But I feel like it's more of the sense you've just consumed a satisfying meal. You don't mm, feel like, okay. oh my God, I can't wait. Like you've wait eaten to... at Burger Chef. <laughs> right? No, no, like a satisfying meal. <laughs> oh, White Castle. Okay. Yeah, I'm not talking supper. I'm talking about an honest a meal and experience. <laughs> and when sure. you're done, when you're really satiated, you don't feel like, oh God, I just can't wait to eat plow through another rack of ribs or have yeah. you know an, a, i want another pound of cake in me or whatever it's just like mm-hmm. i'm i'm perfectly full that was delicious and i'm just enjoying thinking back my sensations of en- enjoying this this bank this banquet's bounty that's how i felt after okay. watching this episode and in fact this entire season i agree with you on a lot of aspects there um St- one of the str- I'll, I'll go and say this half season one the stronger and this is this is not saying a lot because I'm struggling to think of a weak episode, let alone a string of, of Madman. Period. Yeah. But having said that, even amongst these really awesome seasons, this is one of the more consistently enjoyable and well constructed episodes or se- seasons. I agree. I, I agree almost entirely with everything you just said. The only 
place where I would probably express a little bit of of difference here in my opinion is that that you could take the meal analogy one step farther and say if before that meal someone had told you look this is the second best meal I've ever made Mm -hmm. I would want to see that first best meal and I would know that after I've eaten this amazing meal Mm -hmm. that there's a a slightly better meal in my Mm -hmm. future okay that's the meal I want to get to and that's kind of the meal I feel like we're going to get in the final so second episode. Stick your finger down your metaphorical throat and <laughs> no, no, no. I'm okay with waiting a year to eat that meal. I don't need <laughs> time, it right time now. To purge. But it's got me excited for what could be coming in the future. Okay, I I don't feel that excitement. In fact, I'm huh. back to feeling a little nervous. That Ooh. oh wow, everything is so wrapped up now. I will say that the way they've ended this is perfectly set up to where I don't really give a shit about SCP. And in sure. fact, I think it's it's just handled. I think so. Like you yeah. don't have to worry about it. It's five years locked in. We can just talk about and and Don's marriage over. Yeah, yeah. This now it's is, Don and his kids. It's right? Don and his kid, and, and him and Peggy are pretty much settled. Unless sure. they're going to have a second stage where they actually have a romantic entanglement. <laughs> I, I can see that yeah. happening. I don't think it's. I don't think it's ridiculous to think that. But I also don't. I also. I don't know. I read a lot of reviews with the Wiener where he was like, "Oh, that's preposterous," or "I don't see where people are getting that." Having hmm. said that, I've seen the man lie <laughs> at season ending after season ending. Uh-huh. He just bullshits and soft shoes his way through his interviews, and people lap it up and are never critical or never be like, "Hey, I, I, you lied about Roger in season four. You lied about Don's motivations in season five. Like it's not. It's a matter of public record." Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with this. He, he's like Henry Francis. He just doesn't get called on his bullshit. When he says it, right, he, he was for the war out. in Vietnam yep. until he wasn't. Until he, his wife uh, made a faux pas at a dinner party, right. and it's all over. Uh, okay, let's get into the recap. We'll we'll talk, I'm sure, at length about all this stuff uh, throughout the recap. We open up with you know the theme of the episode. Uh, Bert is watching the lift off of Apollo 11, and he's pleased. He's very pleased. Uh, Bert seems like a guy who's excited about. Maybe not the space program itself, but the the accomplishment and the possibilities uh, of the space program. Well, Bert is a randroid. He is a big follower of Ayn Rand. Oh, God, I've never heard that Ayn? term before. Oh, really? I think it's Ayn, but Ayn? everybody says it differently, I think. Uh, well, far be it for me to have the official pronunciation. <laughs> right. Ayn Rand, he, I think that he is an admirer of great men. Yes. And astronauts in this particular time are a particular particular breed of exceptional men. Oh yeah. They're they're fearless. They're going into the unknown. And they're exclusive. I think there's only 12 men in all of human history that have walked on the fucking moon. And yeah. that is an incredible achievement and it's an incredibly exclusive club. Definitely. So if you are uh a, a follower of these great men of these you know atlases then the astronauts, especially the ones that walked on the moon, are right up there. Yep. And he just has this almost physical pleasure of the nation's, you know, military and and aerospace prowess being displayed to the world. I, I feel like he's got uh, a freedom boner. Sure, and we'll we'll see more about that. He's... Sticking that three stage Saturn V freedom boner <laughs> right up to right up to Red's asses is what he's doing. I guess so. Uh, so then Ted's flying sun-kissed in his plane. Uh, just, they wanted to go up in it, and so he took him up. 
Uh, then he scares the shit out of him by shutting the engines off and joking about crashing. D- Ted, it, it feels like me. Okay, so he's clearly depressed, mm-hmm. d- very obviously. I don't know what drove him to it so quickly because it didn't seem to come out of anywhere. Like, he seemed blasé about his work, but he's ready to kill himself. Well, the one thing I think we forget is we're still less than we're still less than six months removed from the events of the previous season with Peggy. Yeah. And he seems like a man who's really dissatisfied with at least his marriage, mm-hmm. which I don't know. It seems that's, but you know, people, people get dissatisfied for whatever reason all the time. Sure. And he did have this, you know, magnetic attraction to Peggy mm-hmm. that was mutual and she's young and she's talented and, uh, all these things, and he, you know, kind of brought her along. He stole her from Don. I, I don't know. There's a lot of psychosexual things going on there, and I think it's really thrown him. And the fact that uh, he, I think he likes being in New York better. Yeah, he definitely does, and, and that gets him excited when he can come back to New York. Imagine being stuck in a two office suite with Pete. Oh God, yeah, that's really what did it. Just eroding your human soul every day <laughs> when he's like. Take, All their problems would be over. Yeah. I think Pete. Pete is his problems. It's Ooh. eroding a soul like Pete's hairline. It just <laughs> washes away day by day, uh-huh. never coming back. It's just clogging sinks. <laughs> yeah, that's my take on it. Okay. Well, I, so we can go with the orange theory and say, oh, God, he's got sun-kissed in a plane. He's joking about suicide. Not really joking about suicide. He's talking about suicide. They think it's just to scare him, but who knows? I don't know. I don't. I don't think he was really talking about dying. I think he was talking about just being fed up with his life as presently constructed. I can relate yes, to that. But then later in the meeting when he's like, I, if I sign a five-year contract, my that'll be the end of my life, basically, is what he says. Right. That, that will, he's going to kill himself. E- either he will kill himself or the or work will, will do him. him in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so sure. I, I think he's suicidal. Um, there's a, a comment from Pete in the plane when he's talking about Ted and said he mentions Lane Price directly. That's an obvious reference to suicide. I don't know. Ted's in a bad way. Sure. Um, we'll probably talk about that more. Anyway, Cutler calls Ted about the incident um, in the plane, and then Ted says he wants to be bought out because he doesn't want to be in advertising anymore. Then, uh, And you've got Pete in the background yelling stuff into the phone, which was pretty hilarious. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know how accurate this is, but like so many guys are war vets. Mm-hmm. You know, Roger, uh, Jim Cutler, apparently is a bomber pilot or a fighter pilot sure. that ran escorts for bombers. He loves that bomber jacket. You, I, It's weird that like nowadays when I work with people that have been in the military, I feel like I can, I can pick them out pretty readily. They have a certain mean to them. Mm-hmm. And back, it seems the way in Mad Men era, since so many of them did that, it's like there was... You know, and, and it was maybe a draft rather than something you did as a profession. Yeah. There was a lot more kind of guys like just Jim Cutler is wearing these big goo-goo goggles. Mm-hmm. And he's now this uh, you know intellectual, cerebral businessman. And he also rained fire death on the German population. It's I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I had no idea. Like, I fucking hate Jim Cutler. Yeah. <laughs> But that is an incredibly brave thing that he did, and mm-hmm. also involved in tangentially to allied war crimes. It's an interesting yeah. juxtaposition. Sure, it's a, another indicator of the times, for sure. sure. 
Uh, I also thought it was interesting that on the phone here, Ted is drinking screwdrivers, vodka and orange juice. So uh, he's the guy going to be chucked off the patio. Could be. Could be. Um, So then Lou comes in with some bad news about Commander, and he's angry that he's not being given good work and that he's going to retire basically with nothing. Uh, He feels like he's being pushed out, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Commander is, this contract is dead. Yeah. They they got rolled up with the rest of Philip Morris and went somewhere. Right. Um, That's certainly, I think, part of the impetus for the breach of contract. Sure. The fact that, you know, Commander's not going to be around demanding Don. Right. That's for sure. Yeah, he was just kind of seeing how that that would lead. Now, where do you think... Lou's just irrelevant. Oh, Are we going to see... Is is he (laughs) going to be... The homeless man outside of the Time Life building. I hope so. Next season, is he going to try to stage increasingly hilarious uh, Don Draper style? Maybe he'll spin off uh, counterinsurgency that no one even notices. It's like he does all these elaborate. He, he's basically, oh shit, who's the guy that sh- tried to shit on Roger's desk that had the dog? Oh, God. Uh, I don't remember his name. Oh my! We'll get a hundred <laughs> emails if we don't think of his name. Well, maybe you can wiki it while maybe. we're while we're going here. I'm gonna here's here's the Google term: shit on <laughs> Roger's <laughs> desk. <laughs> All right. While you do that, I'm gonna go do a fairly inconsequential scene here. Top not, not top result: no. unseen side of Mister Rogers. Did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, there's a family staying at the Francis house, and we get introduced to them. Oh, it's Duck Phillips. I just remembered it. Okay. In the in the next scene, uh, and Betty kind of gets them settled in. Uh, Sally gets Sean settled in. Sean's the uh, the jock looking dude. Neil is the nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, Sally seems to be all over Sean in this scene, and in others as well. And we'll talk about that more later. Then we go to a meeting about Burger Chef. Uh, actually, let me go back to that scene. It's weird. We don't see Henry at all in this episode, despite the activity going on at his house. He's mentioned. Yeah, but the fact that we don't see him in the house after this fight that he had with Betty seems like a bad sign for their relationship. Whoa, 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 wait. He is on the couch watching the show, the television with everybody else. Oh, he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I just don't think he I has a, a speaking role. No, no, he doesn't. Okay. Well, maybe he's he's there. Does he have his arm around Betty or anything? I couldn't tell you. Mm, not have sitting fun. on opposite sides of the room. I just remember the big meat meathead sprawled out. Casting aspersions on the space program. Yeah, yeah, shitting all over the space program. And that's about it. I, okay. I, I can remember that. That's all we really need from that scene anyway. Uh, so there's a meeting about Burger Chef, and Pete and Harry and Don and Peggy and everybody's there. Harry asks Don how he should approach the partner negotiation. Don is very dismissive, tells him just sign it. Yeah, just, stop negotiating. Take the yeah, deal. It's it's a deal, Harry. This is the best thing you're ever going to get. Right. Um. <laughs> Pete's Pete shitting all over Harry. Everybody is shitting on Harry this episode. Uh, Pete's like, then Harry gets up and hopefully doesn't squander the goodwill I've just <laughs> generated. Right. Oh, God. And Harry just has a one-liner comeback. Nope. Is it Did a I comeback? Forget? It's more like I yeah, had Yeah, it's I, more like a defensive I thing. I think he said I had a joke, and Pete's like, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like how they. Hates him. I do like how they handled this because then later when they had the 2001 moment where the sound was dropped off and everything was in slow motion and you mm-hmm. know, Petty acted. Petty. Petty. Peggy acted like a bomb just went off 
uh, while she stormed the beach at Normandy. Uh-huh. It was cool because you saw everything in shorthand that they talked about, like the Pete making the joke and everybody laughing. And yeah. then him pitching it over to Don, and then the sound picks up right at, you know, basically... Don telling Peggy exactly get up there. Except for instead of Peggy giving him the over-the-top, you know, leg-up launch into the, the pitch, Don gave it back mm-hmm. to her. So I, I thought that was really cool, because if they had just done that scene without this other scene, which seemed kind of oddly brusque and, you know, kind of... Yeah. It wouldn't have made sense. And I also like how Pete... You know, Don was going up there to rehearse, rehearse a speech. He heard like a half sentence. He's like, "Yep, yeah, that's fine. That's Draper Gold." <laughs> sure, I, I he's got that's, this. That's the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Peggy meets the repairman, and there seems to be a connection there. But then Julio comes in to get more popsicles. What's up with the repairman in this episode? He's he's a very brief appearance. Peggy kind of smiles at him. You think offering to lay pipe, <laughs> or at least put in a ceiling. <laughs> drop ceiling. Drop ceiling. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what's up with this. It, it seems like I, I. I did read Alan Sepinwall's review, and he had a fairly good take on uh, people's attention kind of being focused in places Indeed. while other things happen around them. I, I, I like that theme. He basically said, you know, while ever the nation was eyes were on Apollo, mm-hmm. you're you're missing other things are going on, and this and... repair man could be that. For Peggy at this point. Well, it's like we as an audience are like, ooh, a new yeah. man in Peggy's life. But the real emphasis was on the man departing her life. Sure. Man, it might be a bit of a stretch, but let's yeah. move on. Uh, Judging by biomass alone. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, how many popsicles do you need, kid? Uh, Peggy and Carolyn talk about... <laughs> no, you can about... break them in half. You don't have to eat both of them. Jesus. Uh... And the sticks. You're supposed to spit out the sticks, Julio. It's good fiber. Uh, Peggy and Carolyn talk about their husbands in the kitchen, and Sally and a shirtless Sean come downstairs, and Sally's looking extra made up, and Betty notices that. Um, again, they're they're telling us, look, Sally and Sean, Sally and Sean, kind of big red radar going off there, uh, big red alarm. What do you think of the make of uh, Betty's talk of Don being like an old bad boyfriend? Something a teenage anthropologist would marry. Uh, I mean, it's comparing him, you know, the the football player in a suit, just like Cutler says later on. Uh, it's similar to that. Hmm, interesting. I don't know what she means by, I don't know who an anthrop- a teenage anthropologist would go That's out bet. with. That's a reference to Betty. Sure. I, I mean, I, I got that. I just oh, don't okay. know what kind of person she means, necessarily. Well... I, I know Seppenwall and Tom and Lorenzo, and I think even Molly uh, over at Grantland mentioned the fact that Sally, I, I, Sally made a, a zig where her mother would have zagged, and she went after the nerdy guy, the quiet, introspective sure. guy, rather than the football player in a suit. Yeah, and I feel like we should talk about that more when, when we the get kiss there. Happens. But I just want to yeah. sh- just kind of play that into people's minds or okay. put that into people's minds that it could be Betty is thinking that this one thing is going to happen. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like early on in the episode, I, I almost think that what Don says to her later is yes. what really flipped the switch. I agree completely. Where it kind of woke her up. It's like, no, I don't want to be that cynical. Uh huh. And it's a very complex relationship with yes. Sally and her parents, yes. both of them, because they both have a different relationship with her. Indeed. We'll we'll get more to that. Um, Meredith shows Don a letter, 
that she's uh, that says he's being sued for breach of contract, and she tries to make it easier on him by kissing him. <laughs> and Don, that's okay. She's she'll, she'll not be Don's long. Don's rock. She'll get him. Through I this. don't think so. I really don't think so. And Don shuts it down and says, "We can't do this." And she's like, "You're right. Not now. Yeah. No, no, Meredith. You don't understand. <laughs> not ever." Oh my God! It's just she's just so simple and sweet and earnest about uh-huh. her complete emotional and sexual availability of this guy. <laughs> it's 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 hilarious and tragic yeah. at the same time. True. She has the mind of a child, Jim. Yeah, yeah, she does. Uh, the, the other interesting thing, maybe, maybe people who have kind of the minds of children, uh, Stan and Mathis are talking at the beginning of this scene, right. and they're wondering, like, what will happen when man sets foot on the moon? What is it made out of? It might be quicksand. It might get sucked down into it. I, it's, it's weird thinking that people are going up there with no idea. Well, I don't know because what might actually be up there. They actually had un, unmanned lunar probes, sure. so it's like the learned among among them, the people that read books and were interested in more of the surface. I think that information yeah, yeah. was out there that no, the astronauts work on this the sink, you know, be out of sight. Yeah, I don't think they would. But even the newscasters, but when I, it I happened, think that were like, yeah, he's that's... testing the ground, testing the surface. Sure, sure. I, I think that even. Um, that nobody knew until they actually sent a probe up there. I sure. mean, that was a semi-popular theory. That, and the lunar dust is like really fine, mm-hmm. weird shit got over everything. Yeah. It looks like every, every time you see an astronaut that's been on the moon for more than five minutes, it looks like they fucking rolled into stuff. Hmm. It just is, It they just look filthy, filthy dirty. when Maybe they, get, they did. I'd they roll did, around yeah. on the moon. Trip and fall. They never show you those pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ray fell right on his face. Motherfucker! <laughs> Rolled down a moon dune for <laughs> moon dune. five minutes. Bouncing 30 feet in the air every time you hit the ground. Little known mission. Uh, Don goes to Cutler and tells him that his plan is not going to work. And then he calls an impromptu meeting of the partners right out in the open. In the this lobby. Was this so was badass. So badass. And the music. My God, the music. Leading up to it as well. It's yeah. ramped up to 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he forces everybody to take a vote on whether they want to pursue the breach of contract, and everyone except for Joan and Cutler, uh, and with Ted. also with Ted's proxy vote, which is bullshit, votes not to. Yeah. How, how is that even possible? Do they have some prearranged agreement where Ted's completely checked out? Look, no, Jaw, you just do all of my voting for me. Probably, I don't give a shit. Probably when he went out to California, there's probably as some sort of legal arrangement where, uh-huh. and I don't know whether it's for any matter mm-hmm. or whether it's matters up to x amount of importance or what but and in fact there's such a theme to this season of ted or i'm sorry jim just taking ted's proxy for granted yes mm-hmm. on different things that people vote about that i thought sure this is going to come down to a misjudging of people's loyalty Okay. And he's going to bring Harry on a partner, think he's personally <laughs> loyal to him, and Harry's still loyal to Don, which I still think is true. I think so, too, yeah. And, or, that Ted was going to come in and be like, hey, you know, you think Don fucked me over, but Don tried to save my life. Sure. I don't know how Ted feels about Don. That would be an interesting thing to find out as well. After he's been living, yeah. in, after he's been in exile for six months, 
Yeah, and it's weird because Don gave him the opportunity to get out of New York, which is something he wanted at the time, but now it seems like that's exactly the opposite of what he wants. So well, has his tune is, changed on Don? I think Ted's basically a good guy. Sure. So I he was trying that. desperately to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's made him terribly unhappy, which is yeah. sometimes happens when you do the right thing. Sure. What is the right thing? It's such a complicated question, Jim. It's a, a very sensitive piece of horse flesh in Don, apparently. Yes. I think I, uh, Ted seems like uh, his horse flesh is none too calloused either. Ted does? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. He's in a funk out there. California. Definitely. Uh, this is the scene where Cutler calls Don a football player in a suit. I think that's important to remember for later on. The most oppressive thing he's seen is when he was blubbering about his impoverished childhood. What? I that's missed what, that line. That's what Jim said. He goes, the, he, he says, you know, me and Ted, when we go in a meeting, we were oh. so scared of your cloud of mystery. And now that I've peered behind the stage, you're, I'm totally unimpressed. And yeah. You know, and and it's funny because I thought he was projecting yeah, it was a bit the, there because I had no time that I think Don was going to poke him. I don't know, man. There's a look on Don's face when he says he's deeply unimpressed that says maybe Don was a little angry. I think uh, it's more like you think I'm impressed. I have been playing with goddamn kid gloves and I've been <laughs> out fighting you. And now we're going to get our dicks out of our pants and we're going to see who's is longer. Sure. Sure, and I'm going to run out here, and I'm going to show you who's loyal to me Ex- and who's loyal to you. Exactly. Sure, I, I buy that. Um, let's move on. Peggy asks Julio what to wear to her Burger Chef meeting um, and tells him that he can't watch the moon landing because she'll be an indie. And then he tells her that he's moving away because mom got a new job. Ugh, the Newark. Ugh, in Newark of all places. Horrible. <laughs> All of our Newark listeners tuning out now. I don't know. I mean, it was pretty brutal because no less than Matt Weiner took a shot at you. Yep. And I'm from Indianapolis. We don't. Mm-hmm. They don't sell booze on Sunday in still 2014, year of our Lord. Yeah. Yeah, so, 40, 50 years later. I mean, I'm sure in Newark you can at least buy booze to medicate your depression. Sure. You can't do that in Naptown. Nope. Can't drink myself into a nap. <laughs> Not unless you prepare on I Saturday. Do, I have to do the old-fashioned way, mind-numbing boredom. <laughs> uh, Peggy's really sad about this. I mean, this is the only thing she had in her personal life. You know, the only thing. This shit was genuinely moving. It was. It Who was. would have known when Julio came and demanded uh, pipes cleaned and plungers bequeathed? And that- popsicles. And popsicles that he would actually be be able to steal this scene. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. I mean, like I said in in the instant cast, Elizabeth Moss really she just sells a scene, sure. and without her acting chops, I wouldn't have bought it. But I've I've seen child actors that couldn't have handled just the whole hey lose kind of blubber and run through this woman's arms and yeah yeah and it's just the economy of storytelling. Have we seen this kid five minutes this season? Uh-uh. But we utterly bought this uh, maternal relationship between Peggy and Julio. Sure, and well executed the way she delivered it and just everything about it. The you know her being strong and like she kind of loses her shit but every time she goes to you know she puts her mom face on and comforts the kid and i the fact that he, she says i'll visit you all the time and he sees that no that's not going to happen no you won't yeah yeah 
it's just all perfect mm-hmm. and great scene just blew me away that the wiener was able to get away with that. Sure. With that little investment in time. Completely agree. It really puts a lot of other shows to shame where we have hours of experience with the <laughs> characters and we just don't give a shit. Yep. Not naming any names. Nope. Uh, because there's a lot of them. I mean, that's the, that's sure, that's yeah, sure yeah. the, the rule rather than the exception. Yep. It's just, again, with less than five minutes of screen time, to sketch that complex relationship, it's fucking phenomenal. I think we've actually talked about Julio on yes. the podcast more than he's yes, been on have. the show. I, we have. <laughs> okay, let's move on then. Don calls Megan to tell her that he's going to get fired, and she doesn't want him to move to California, we find out. I mean, this is, in my opinion, a definitive end to their marriage. Indeed. Uh, Don promises to give her you know, whatever she needs, and and kind of buys his way out of the situation like like he always does. I mean, I just think this is the contrast between how he treated Bet, uh, Betty. And what do you mean? Oh, Betty. I was mean, they're vindictive, and he called her a whore. Yeah, their last marriage ended violently. Actually, and he didn't. I I think I don't know. I feel like I know that he, that Henry didn't want any of his money. Sure. So Don doesn't pay shit for support. Mm-hmm. But I also think that Don is kind of like dead set against that anyway. I mean, he was just really vindictive and completely in denial about what he had done and why this was happening. And yeah. here it's like even from the first episode where he had a chance to make time with uh, Party of Five. What is her name? Neve Campbell? Neve Campbell, yeah. Neve Campbell. Uh-huh. Uh, He's been oh, eyes open about this. Like, I'm a terrible husband. She hasn't quite gotten figured out, but she will. Yeah. So he's just, it's been a matter of time. And I like how they bookended two uh, sad emotional breakups one between Peggy and Julio, and now between Megan and Don. And mm-hmm. it just felt real. Like, yeah. I've had a breakup go exactly like that. I've been on both <laughs> sides of that breakup where yeah. I care about you too much to make an emotional decision about your life based on me. And I've had the same, <laughs> huh. same courtesy extended to me by another person. And it's, it's, it'd be much easier for Megan to just be like, oh, sure, yeah, whatever, and kick that can down the road. But I thought yeah. for a person of, uh, you know. Well, it's make it or break a time here, right? I mean, if he gets fired, there's literally no reason for him to stay in New York. She's either got to get on board with the marriage I'm or get out of it. I'm saying a lesser person would have let that happen. Absolutely. I think and you're then right. gone out there and been miserable, like been a, Teddy Chaw, and yet or been miserable or made the other person miserable because they can't sack up or ovary up, uterus up, whatever, and <laughs> and and do what needs to be done. And uh, hats yeah. off to Megan Draper, she did that, and especially since uh, in her particular situation, she, she didn't know that Don was going to be generous with her. Sure, she could have had a. She has a financial reason to continue to take advantage of him. Yeah, I'm sure he's paying for that house out there. He's got to be right. So, uh, well, he's paying uh, damn near everything. I'd imagine. Yeah, and probably seems like it will continue to do so. And he's paying for the fondue pots. I mean, my God, that's right. She goes through those once a week. Those things walk right out the door. He's never seen those fondue <laughs> pots again. Any kind of property settlement? Come on. Uh, another kind of cool thing that I noticed in this scene, um. In the background of this shot, when they are breaking up um, on Megan's balcony, there's a telescope in the background. And to me, that says that they are fundamentally two different types of people. Don is the football player in the suit. Megan's the crazy voyeur. Yeah, well, <laughs> not bad. But she's, you know, she just has a different mindset. 
a different outlook on life. Yeah, she's a bit of a poser too. Her mom called her out, I think, accurately about that last season. So I think, how many times sure, has Megan looked through that telescope? We we know probably never. We do know that she is not interested in being an ad person, right? I mean, she she does not have the same interest as Don. Hmm. That's interesting. I just think they're incompatible by their nature. Yes, and, and, I'll go with that. And it might be a sly little nod to that to put a telescope in the background. Hmm. So what does that say about him and Bobby? Because Bobby is not... Him Bobby? Is, is, yeah. Is he's that, a lot like his dad, I think. Right, because he's not interested. He's left the fucking telescope in a box. <laughs> yeah. But again, I, I, I don't know. That's it, You're hinging... I think you're, the, your only problem... The only problem with that analysis is it hinges on what I think is an affectation of her... Of hers. Okay. And what do you mean? That, I mean, it just that telescope whole... is metaphorically in the box. As much use okay. as it gets for stargazing or voyeurism or anything. It's just a cool... Maybe so. It's a cool knick-knack that she has, you know, an arty little thing. A conversation piece, if you will. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Roger meets with Bert, who says that a leader is loyal to his team. And basically says that Roger is not a leader. Uh, and also says that Don is on his team and Cutler is not. And Benedict Joan. Benedict Joan, yeah. Let's talk about this, because I got a lot of feedback on it. Too much okay. to read. Uh, did you Do you have a problem with how uh, anti-Don Joan has been in this season and this episode in particular? A lot of people did. So I have a very slight problem with it, and it's the fact that Don didn't know about the merger that was, or the buyout that was going to happen last season. When he made, you know, his plays. no, Everyone was keeping him in the dark. They were planning this in secret. No one told him. So how can he mess something up that he doesn't know about and people be angry that he did it? People can be angry over bullshit. Let me They can. That's why I'm saying Joan being angry at him is kind of bullshit. Okay, so here's... I thought so, too, just because I really like Don and I really like their chemistry and I prefer them to be, you know, friendly... Uh, allies in with in a lot of politics, sexual tension with a lot yeah. of sexual tension sure, sure that i never want to see consummated okay but i think that that uh in every interview that the wiener did today that i read in the last few days he did one for the vulture where he he, he touched on this in all of them but he's like look if your best friend lost a million dollar lottery ticket yeah left in his pocket went through the wash and it's gone not his fault didn't know about it how many people could go through that and not be fucking livid? And yeah. you might come around six months, a year, but that's something that can change most of us. Yes, I agree. Life. And like you, you, I don't, I, I don't know what kind of damn saint it would take to not be furious. Like, yeah. So what you didn't know? Well, how about you not be a fucking cowboy? <laughs> How about sure, you not I, make a bunch of decisions without any of us voting on, you know? I get it, but, I mean, don't we want her to be a better person? Don't we want her to be I, the kind of person who says, look, he didn't know about this. He was doing what he thought was best. No. And it fucked me, but he didn't do it on purpose. I don't give we a We don't shit. want her to be that person? To me, I no. I, okay, here's the thing. I just feel like that lottery ticket example really crystallized it that I would be, if you did that, if I my agree. girlfriend did that, if my son did that, if I would you have did a that, I would be pissed, sure. hard fucking time dealing with it. It'd be a long time before I could see any of those people's faces and not just first just be so mad. Because again, yes, I agree. we're not talking about 
twenty bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. We're talking about life changing money. Yes. Like in fact, if we're gonna make it apples to apples, let's say at ten million dollars. Sure. A million, you know, in today's a million sixties money is a lot. <laughs> to, to me, like when Wiener said that, I don't know why I didn't think of it that way. Say no more. And again, yes, this wasn't a year flash forward where she had a t- chance to get over it and process it. Mm-hmm. And whatever this is, we flash forward what six weeks? Yeah, a few, a couple months at most. I think from last season where all this went down. Mm-hmm. So this is still a fucking less than raw eight months wound. out here. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I, I'm just, I'm just wondering if you know us as viewers want her to be. Above that, I think even though she can't be as a character, and I and understand I, that. And I don't want to say that you're wrong for thinking that, because until mm-hmm. I read those interviews, that's kind of, I was miffed and I was ready to take it like, what the fuck is her problem? Yeah. But that's a lot of fucking money. A lot of money. Uh, I think I know what killed Bert. It wasn't the moon landing. It's the four-hour freedom boner. <laughs> it wasn't the, the freedom pri- boner. The pri- he had a boner stroke. It was in <laughs> Bert's... <stroking> <laughs> In Bert's office, there is a very delicate balance of bacteria keeping that man alive. And Roger refusing to take his shoes off mm. completely de- just destroyed that ecosystem. The bacterial feng shui. Yeah. It was Did all thrown off. Fair enough. Roger. Roger may have killed Bert. Fair enough. Uh, it could be that his black maid poisoned him with bleach. <laughs> Why would she do that? Because he's a fucking racist asshole, man. <laughs> oh, that's right. I think that's yeah, why I, I think that's why I had sou- song in the South kind of you know vaguely vaguely racist uh, uh, a, a, a pop culture reference for a vaguely racist man. Not wow. even vaguely okay. racist. He was just racist. He's no, a, he was racist. I think he was in denial about his racism, but he well, was he's. Certainly I a mean, racist. yeah, he was in his sixties and he's eighty years old. So sure, that he probably man, thinks he's progressive. But the actor, what is his name? Robert Morris. Uh, Robert Morris. Morris. 83 years old. I did not know that. Trippin' Light Fantastic. I didn't either. I assumed 70s. And still still moving in some fluid grace. Yeah. Yeah. No shoes. With no orthopedic shoes on either. (laughs) Uh -uh. Uh, So there's a comment that Roger makes, and it's the last line that Roger ever says to Bert, let's have another coffee, let's have another piece of pie. Uh, This is from a song in a musical comedy called Face the Music. Mm -hmm. It is sung by a group of once wealthy citizens who are awaiting better times. Uh, and that feels like uh, Roger there. I mean, that's... Yeah, he's basically, what do you want us to do? Be like that? It's like, okay, well, we used to be yeah. important. We used to be rich. We used to run this shit. And now we're just going to s- sit on our ass and Watch do nothing. Don go out the door. Uh, I thought another similar illusion was uh, it's when Don and Megan were talking about seeing the Wild Bunch. That's about um, you know Sam Peckinpah's movie about a bunch of washed-up cowboys. Oh, hmm. uh, on one last ride, we know Don is a cowboy. Well, and it seems seems like that's all these guys. It's yeah, you know, that's his Waterloo. It's I mean, that's... Bert and it's Roger and it's Don taking one last stand, and not all of them, not all of them uh, walked out of that fight. And it's against Cutler and his computer. Cutler, Harry, and his computer. If it was up to Cutler, they'd pare it down to just Harry and the computer. Mm-hmm. Actually, just a computer. Just the computer. Yeah. Well, I I agree. Get Harry out of there. Sure. <laughs> no use for Harry. Um, and, and it's very important to know here what Bert says about Roger, that he isn't a leader. I mean, he, he implies that by saying, um, leaders are loyal to their team and that Cutler has a vision and he implies that Roger is not. a leader. I think this woke the sleeping giant. Yes. It's very important to remember that as going forward in this episode. My question is whether Roger will actually maintain interest in the company 
now that he's won. Yes. He rose to this challenge. Mm-hmm. Now he's got a five-year contract where he's just kind of going to idle. Yeah. Is there still going to be that fire in his belly? I don't know. It, it felt like a Waterloo for Roger where he won. Like, this may be his final battle, but he won it. Like, that's that's kind of the trajectory I see it going. So the anti-Waterloo. Waterloo in the sense that it is his final battle. Roger Lou. <laughs> Roger Liu, yes. Okay. Well, if, Vin, if it's final battle, what you know? What's uh, he going to get us suited up? What's he going to get up for? What's he going to get amped for? I don't think he needs to get up for anything, <laughs> except for a steady, steady <laughs> supply of twenty something hippies. Going to bone every woman in Cal- <laughs> or in Florida, apparently. Uh, so the team is in the plane, ready for takeoff, and Pete expresses his support of Don, tells him that he should come out to California. Don says there is no reason for him to go out there whatsoever. Tells me that that was pretty final with Megan. Oh, it's final. Yeah. Black curtain. A, a lot of people speculating, oh, maybe it's not final. Like, it, is that what actually happened? Are they done? I, it wouldn't blow my socks off if we came back next season and they had done some sort of reconciliation. But it seems like, why would they? Narratively? Yeah. yeah. Realistically? The hardest part is saying these words and, and with the kind of finality. Sure. You know, like she said, we're over a couple, but... Then she picked up the phone, and she was obviously crying. She'd been over that, and Don was still making the wrong choices. And I think she's she's done. Mm-hmm. She was going to, you know, humor him out, and but anytime that again he was going to base his future and maybe make a move that would be detrimental to his role as a father. Yeah, yeah. This is also the scene where uh, Pete makes Delane Price reference uh, in reference to Ted, who is off the deep end, as he says. Yeah, marriage, marriage is a racket, which was another kind of mini theme because, uh, of course, Harry, my God, he's a, he's a scumbag pig. But he's talking about his <laughs> wife, Jennifer, uh-huh. and how she's wanting to – she's backed off the divorce talk now that she knows that he's threatening to make partner. Sure. I fully expect him to be sleeping on his couch next season, <laughs> that the partnership is off the table. Yeah. He'll be on the couch because the partnership is off the table. All right, uh, everyone then watches the moon landing, and I, I really like these shots of everyone just sitting around transfixed by this massive event in history. Yeah, man, I feel... So we've all had this experience, right? We've had whoa, a... whoa, what experience? We've had it on 9-11, where everyone's around okay. the television watching the same That's thing. one of the few things I can think of, the magnitude. We get it on, like, elections. I can remember the challenge. Ah. Elections happen every okay, four fine. years. The Challenger explosion, I remember, okay. they actually wheeled in television so all of us kids could watch the first teacher in space, and it fucking blew up, and like, what? Yeah, yeah. And God, I can't imagine just sitting there and watching that. I didn't see it. I think, and if, for my generation, I feel like that is, that was a big formative event for us. That was like, mm, just a, yeah, like, yeah. holy shit, and like, we got to see the, we didn't couldn't process it. We weren't old enough. That wasn't supposed to happen. Well, I mean, it's a shame way... that we... Uh, that we don't have any positive experience. That's the thing. I was going to say, in These the same all... way that Apollo 11 was the big triumphant moment for the space program, right. Challenger was the exact opposite. Yeah, And it kind of just made everybody's opinion of going to space go to shit. Right. Uh, and it's so... just, I, I just wish sometime, one tough time in my life, that maybe when we finally land on Mars... Yeah, that we yeah. can have another one of these experiences where everybody is as as a planet watching mm-hmm. something positive. That's the point. I mean, that's that is 
why this episode is about Apollo 11 and why Peggy delivers the Burger Chef pitch she delivers. I mean, it's all about this connection that no one has or or seems to be at least drifting away in this decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, this family connection, people's connections to each other are all going away. And this is one moment where everyone sat in front of their TV. Everyone had the same experience. Right. And really came together. And it's it's really telling about a lot of other people in this episode. Right. And it's funny because, like, going back to the advertising angle, I feel like a lot of places try to recreate, like, the Super Bowl. People, like, everybody's sitting there watching that. But it's... it's but a I'm cor- not. <laughs> it, well, you <laughs> are very much the the exception. Well, However, not really. I mean, how many people watch the Super Bowl in this country? A, worldwide, it's, like, over a billion. Is it anywhere near the 300-plus million we have for this country as I, far as population I'm goes? I'm just saying that... The, it's a it's a majority over probably over fifty one percent of adults watch the goddamn Super Bowl. Okay, so they could vote the rest of us down. <laughs> probably, I don't know. I'm pulling these numbers. <laughs> Do I, out I don't want to sign a five year contract to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> but my point is that's the closest thing we've got to where people are doing yeah. the same. And we're talking about it's it's a fucking altar to consumerism. Yeah, yeah. It's not anywhere near the same. I want I want no, a, a Mars landing. I want something. Cure for cancer sure. announcement, uh, discovery of alien life that's not going to wipe us the fuck out. You know that that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it was kind of sad to see Roger with his ex-wife Mona, his son-in-law, and his grandson, but no daughter there. I know. I mean, she the, the everyone is coming together, but the daughter is not there. Right. It's kind of sad for Roger. Uh, then we see Don and Peggy sitting together, Pete and Harry sitting together. <laughs> Coupled up. Uh, I guess so. We we see Bert's home just in time for him to die. Sure. Like, that's the first we've seen of his house, right? You think? Except for the first scene, sure. I mean, I can't I can't remember another time we've seen it. Okay. Um, bravo. And then, yeah, Bert says bravo, his last line on the planet. I don't know. This, this was just really, I was as transfixed as these people were just watching them. When did you know that Bert was dead? Uh, when Roger went to his office, not until then. Because hmm. we watched it together. Uh, I, I, I got it as soon as the fucking phone rang. Huh. Okay. They segue from him being Bravo to yeah. Roger and with all the family. And I, what what are the odds that Roger patches things up with Mona to raise that grandson as to raise Ellery as you think the anti Margaret? Will bring them together. No, j- Many moments, like the fact that they mm-hmm. lost their daughter and the tragedy of their grandchild and all that stuff. I mean, it could happen. I, I, that's certainly a uniting force that might right. bring them together. Right. So Don calls Sally, who's unimpressed by by the the money wasted on going to the moon because you know the scene before we had Sean saying, "Oh, it's twenty five billion dollars." Right. Um, and he tells her not to be so cynical. Sure. That's uh. I think a turning point on who she's attracted to here, her dad basically says, without knowing, basically says, you don't want the Sean guy. You want somebody different. Yeah. That's a cynical view. That's the view your mother would take. That's yes. the view. I was wondering if you are going to go there. Yeah. I mean, certainly if you don't think Betty's relationship with Sally is wrapped up in this, you're mistaken. And basically, I felt like it was him warning her off of guys like him. Yes. Absolutely. Don't go for someone like like me. Go for someone that still's got some hope and optimism that's genuine. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a couple scenes here. 
But first, Roger gets a call that Bert has died, and he goes to the Bert's office, where he then finds Joan and Cutler, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, Cutler immediately goes into the eject Don mode, and Roger's kind of offended by that. Jesus. Even Joan. Even Joan. Her yes. look on her face was of disdain. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I agree with you, but uh-huh. damn. That's, that's a little cold. This is not the time nor place. Speaking of places, why is Cutler in the SCMP or a, yeah, SCMP office at this moment? Does he really care that much about Bert? Does he want to be there to comfort the people who do? I'm sure everyone got a phone call. I'm sure, but but I understand why Roger goes to the office. Oh, I understand no, he, why Joan does. Jim is there to plant a flag on the carcass. You of think Bert. that's oh, his whole God, purpose? Yes. He, he's yes. like, mm, I know these partners will be there. I'll yes. go in and sway them. Yes. He doesn't see that as being offensive at all. I don't think he cares because he's got the votes now. Yeah, no, you're right. He's really walking a fine line with Joan, though. Like, I almost think he would lose Joan's vote if it came to another vote by his actions. Ah, I don't know. I mean, yes, there's a, there's a definitely a threat of that, but he he wants to strike while the iron's hot, I guess. I yeah. To me, it seemed like a, a, well, a giant political hot. miscalculation because, again, you shouldn't. Have done I think that. all three of these things—the fact that Jim made this power play at the beginning, that Bert died after saying that I don't think you're a leader, and now Jim yeah. basically jockeying for power again—I think all these things that combined made Roger decide, "Hey, I've I've got to take control of this thing. I'm not going to let this guy. I'm not going to let this this chucklehead." fuck over my company yeah dismantle the thing that he's built yeah. he needs to step up and be a leader um so in this next scene sally goes outside to smoke and she's impressed by the size of neil's telescope i'll just say it that way and then she kisses him uh this is she thrills to the shocking disappointment of a 1.5 inch aperture telescope <laughs> Where okay. the tiny star All you can see looks, is your eyelashes. Yeah, where a star, <laughs> where a tiny star still looks like a point of fucking light. <laughs> uh, yeah, that telescope didn't look too powerful. I've looked through really powerful telescopes. No, all those. The thing is, like, the, and vast, the diameter is like five inches. Oh yeah, and it's still pathetic. Like yeah. you think you're going to see like Saturn as like a goddamn ball with like no, it looks like yeah. a little. With a good sized telescope, though, you can see craters on the moon, like up close. With a fucking, it's really fucking with cool. A, with a fucking fifty millimeter pair of binoculars, you can see giant <laughs> craters on the moon. The moon, what the hell? I can see craters yeah. on the moon with my goddamn bare naked eyes. No, come on. I'm talking like if you're gonna get like you know, just don't buy this piece of shit telescope, parents. <laughs> get like a unless what four and a half inch, six inch Newtonian. Those something. things are like five six hundred dollars. You can get one of these so, for seventy bucks. Who at gives a, a shit? At a you can get a kid a fucking paper tube for free, and it's the same damn thing. <laughs> That's my point. Bust out a lens in your glasses, stick it on the end of a paper towel. Roll. Yeah, if your kid's a science nerd, get him a microscope. Those are cheap, sure. and you can get good ones and look at blood cells and onion cells. Get him a and... chemical free chemistry kit. There you go. Like we talked about in the Blue Yonder way long time ago. <laughs> there you go. Just don't waste your money on some bullshit. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if they can aff- if everyone can afford that. Then so. Get the paper tube. All right. So th- the impetus, I think, we've talked about for uh, Sally kissing Neil here, um, it's coming from both sides. It's coming from Betty being a horrible bitch to her daughter and also from her father. I, I think... I mean, without the reconciliation that they had, 
in episode two at the diner, I don't think she takes her dad's advice to heart. I think she might actually rebel against that advice. Sure. And, and Don wasn't giving the advice knowing he's giving advice. He's just saying, don't be so cynical. I like that advice. I like that take as a man. And I know that Alan Zeppenwall had it, and even Tom Lorenzo, who are also men. They're gay men, but they're men. I, I thought Molly Lambert had an interesting take. That this wasn't... She's like, people are overthinking this. This is... Sally is extremely un, inexperienced in any kind of sexual matters. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she hasn't kissed that many guys. She's had some very awkward, shaming experiences... With, with her Glenn. feelings, with her and with Glenn oh, and her God. mom, you know, publicly chastising her for touching herself during a steamy scene in television, <laughs> yeah, show, et cetera, year. et cetera. Uh-huh. Her take was the jock was intimidating. Hmm. Okay, and she uh, that that a girl, and again, I don't know because I'm I'm not a I'm not a not a girl, but that she was kind of wanting to experiment with a a lad that's less threatening that okay. eventually work All her right. way up to the meathead jocks to be, you know, and it's interesting. I, cause I, I give, I guess, Mad Men as a show more credit than that uh-huh. to just say this very super superficial thing about this character's singular motivation in an episode versus the history of this entire character and the relationship she has with her parents. And I, I feel like Mad Men leans more on that stuff. Sure. Uh, to develop their characters than just one-off kind of things. And I don't know that she's right. I just thought it was a, an interesting, valid take. Yeah, and I'm sure that's probably part of it, too. Right. I just don't think that's the full extent of it. Sure. And also, I think she wanted him to piss off so she could smoke her goddamn cigarette in, p- in peace. Sure. And look exactly like Betty as she does She it. didn't exactly look disappointed when he ran, scampered <laughs> off to his mother. It's just like, well, he didn't know what to do next anyway, so... Right, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I like the scene, and yeah, her looking like Betty. Which exactly Mrs. like Betty. Miss Shipka is very good at channeling both John Hamm and January Jones, because I've seen yep. her do some Don Draper-level mindfucks in some of her friends, and like the, her little sure. disinterested and like above, and you know, someone asks you a question, you just kind of look at them and arch Even an on Megan, she did that. No, she's really good at yeah. that particular, and she has absorbed all of their their skills and hopefully none of their less charming qualities. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to avoid being uh, influenced by Betty. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to avoid being influenced by your parents. Oh, completely. I am my parents. It's, I mean, it's very obvious. It's it's depressing, and I think I'm a be- <laughs> I, I, in my best days, I'm a better version of my parents. But, okay. yeah. It's, Everyone is. You can't escape that gravitational well. Hmm. So Roger then calls Don to tell him about Bert, and he's also worried about the votes that they're going to have now that Bert is dead. Do we want to talk about that right now, or do we want to save it for later when they start voting again? What do you mean? Uh, About whether or not they have all the votes, Harry's loyalty, how a board of directors votes, because a lot of people are very confused by running down the percentages of ownership. Well, the thing is we— And voting— for this stuff. Here's the thing. You can make an operating agreement say whatever the hell you want it to. Yes, you can. And we don't know. Like, it's just as valid to say that the votes are weighted by stake and ownership. And to me, I think that's sane. 
because I it's, think so too. It's crazy that some of the five percent stake in the company counts just as much as some of the twenty percent of the company. You would think so, yeah. That I mean, think through those implications. <laughs> sure. Like if you kick in twenty dollars to a pizza and mm-hmm. the other person kicks in five dollars, they Do get, they get to, half the pizza? They no, they get to make equal say in what goes on the pizza. Or we'll do a half. We'll do fifty-fifty. I want pep. I want. I want anchovies on mine. And you get supreme. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. Sure, but lots of companies are structured that way. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of the concept of a board of directors. I think um, is that everyone on that board has a similar vote. Yeah, or or identical vote, equal voting power. And I think that's the setup they've got here. I think they've referred to it as the board. When they were, I always thought they called it a partners meeting. I've never heard him referred to it as a board meeting. Okay, I thought when they were negotiating Don's new terms that they referred to it as board, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, maybe. Either way, the episode is setting it up where everyone has the same amount of power in their vote, even though we know they have vastly different stakes. Yes, in the company. Hmm. Um. But yeah, and and so if everyone's got equal say, the way I've got it broken down is that. You know, for Don, we've got Roger, Don, and Pete. Mm-hmm. Anti-Don, we've got Jim, Joan, and Ted. If Ted would actually side against Don, mm-hmm. and I know Ted didn't try to save him last season when he got put on hiatus. Yeah. But did he think, was he with Jim thinking that was permanent, or was he with Roger and uh, Bert thinking that that was a temporary thing that they would then revisit? And the wild card's Harry. Yeah. Jim thinks it's going to be that's a slam dunk for him. I, I don't think so. So if you Yeah, we've if you seen take things Jim, on the screen that say otherwise. If you take Jim Joan and Ted and then you throw Harry over Roger Don Pete, it's not a foregone gone conclusion. And I wonder I wonder if next season there will be some kind of monkey wrench. Or some people mm-hmm. have asked whether Bert left his sister because Don asked about his sister. Like, is his sister still alive? We know she was a silent partner in the previous company mm-hmm. um, and she's not involved in a new one. But what if Bert like left those shares to her? Hmm. Now, a lot of interesting because she is mentioned. I, I do think that there is some kind of buyout provision, though, because that's how they, they dealt with Lane. Okay. Where it's not like, you know, his wife got them or anything like that. Yeah, they There's just bought her a right out. of first refusal or something like that. So, I don't know, and and I hope that we're done because to me, you get seven episodes left. I don't really need to care about all this sure. parliamentary crap and who owns what stake of the company. Yeah, give me the five year contract. Let's deal with Don and the characters. But, however, I must say that narratively, the fact that Don asked that question and Roger completely ignored it is extremely interesting. Okay. Don then goes to Peggy's room to tell her that she's going to give the Burger Chef presentation, and she is extremely nervous about that. I don't know why Peggy is so nervous. We've seen her give pitches before. Is it just because of the size of this client? And the fact it's last minute. And the fact that Don's in her yeah. room. Well, Don's going to help her through And the fact that there's the no pitch. liquor. They have no liquor, Jim. <laughs> That's true. It's, how, it's how can Sunday, she deliver a pitch sober? It's Sunday night in Indiana. You can't get liquor. True. Um, I, I like that Don here says sometimes actions have consequences. It's Don admitting that he made some mistakes and that he has to pay the consequences, that's not a Don that we would have seen in seasons four or five, maybe even six. Yeah, and all your sea lawyer protestations to the contrary, he was in clear breach of his contract. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. Uh, But no, people were, I think, offended by Cutler 
sending out that letter without any notice to him. Well, that, he was Certainly just, Bert was. It's kind of like when we talked on Walking Dead. You had no right to put my name on that. Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of like with in The Walking Dead. I'm not going to get a spoiler, but Rick does something kind of rash and unilateral that is also hypocritical. Mm-hmm. You can't say you're being too rash and sure. reckless and and you're not getting other consent and you're just bull rushing ahead and being a meathead and then do the exact same thing to get rid of that problem. It just mm-hmm. doesn't it you're you're it just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Sure. I'm and, with you. And we haven't talked about this, but my God. Ted's stunt with the plane and his spiral into alcoholism and depression is exactly what Don got into last yes, year. Yes, and we the will talk about is that. The difference is none of the other partners are as fucking ambitious and Machiavellian as Jim Cutler is. And he's got Pete in California propping him up. I, I think that's helping oh, Ted I, enormously. I don't think I mean, Pete he's not is... propping him up emotionally. Don't get me wrong. No, I don't think he's also carrying his water. He's telling people, this guy's terrible. He's running this thing into the ground. Yeah, but nobody cares yeah, about SCNP West. That's true. That is true. Uh, and they they still have their business, so it's not like they're throwing away clients left and right because of Ted. Right. Um, the other thing about the scene is that Don uh, says something about you know hearing her giving pitches and stuff, and we can recall back right. to the Heinz pitch the that she delivered, up. where he listened through the door and basically heard her delivering his pitches. Literally stole yes. a pitch. <laughs> uh, Changed so, the conversation. He knows that she can do it, given the material, and I think she's got the material lined up, mm-hmm. as we'll see, you know, in the next scene, or I guess two scenes from now. This isn't a burger, Chef. It's a time machine. <laughs> yeah. It takes us back to the way a kid eats with a Happy Meal. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a carousel reference? Yeah. Nice. She just goes, she's literally lifting <laughs> all of his best work. Uh, Roger meets with Jim from McCann Erickson, Hobarth, I think is his name. Uh, he tells the, he tells him that the jig is up on Buick, and then he feels this offer to buy fifty one percent of SC and P. A rash move, a brash move, whatever whatever the expression is by Roger. Uh, a bald move for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, and and it's all in the back of him of McCann having lost Burger Chef and now Buick and wanting that business and merging back in. It's very attractive to McCann, I think. But them having 51%. That's exactly what what Roger wants, though. Roger is done with the bullshit politics of the office. He wants a controlling stake in the hands of someone else where Cutler can't fuck with everybody. But he still wants to be the president. He wants to be the, he wants to he be the puppet president that he rebelled against in season three. That's absolutely true. And there are a lot of references to what happened in season three and them splitting from McCann Erickson. This feels, and again, I don't care mm-hmm. because I did not want this to be some big, oh, we're starting a new fucking agency deal. I mean, I've been on record for yes. that. Um, I, and a lot of people like Seppenwall especially seemed like he thought this was the best yet. Mm-hmm. Like, really, this was better than the British heist. This was better than the CGC SCDP merger. Even the stuff with with the Japanese contract, I forget exactly what went down with that, but that stuff was even brilliant. The sword and the chrysanthemum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he he basically uh, used their sense of honor and proprietary Uh against CGC. Mm -hmm. No, as far as corporate mechanics went, I thought this was 
pretty listless and unsatisfying. And if and I maybe really? that's the point because the best things in life are free. It's not about how mm. much money everyone gets. It's about what people are going to do with it, sure, and what how people are going to live their lives. So I'm hoping this is just clearing the deck for nonstop balls to the wall season seven point one character action. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Peggy then goes in and sells Burger Chef on uh, on their new pitch. It knocks it out of the park. I mean, this uh, everyone on the internet has been comparing this to the carousel, which is you know uh, probably think, Don's finest pitch. I ever. think people should settle down. This no, uh, it did not move Harry to tears right. and have him scuttling out of the room to hide his shame. There's little sniffles on a Burger Chef. Yeah, a guy scratches his eye. Maybe he's uh, <laughs> farts. <laughs> Has some uncomfortable gas. Eugene is all over it. Uh, demulleted Eugene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's eating it up. He says it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Uh, there's a line that Don delivers. No one in this room knows more about Burger Chef than Peggy Olsen. Right. And he, he then goes on to say, and no one in this room knows more about eating shitty hamburgers than Harry Crane. <laughs> <laughs> we I have may the experience be you need. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I uh, to me, like that's I I don't know. This is uh, they talk about this a lot in sports, the mm-hmm. recency problem, where everybody's like, you know, uh, want to yeah, say yeah. like Kobe Kobe's better than Michael Jordan, LeBron's better than Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's better. It's it's like yeah, yeah. you know, really? Did you see all these people play in their primes? Like you mm-hmm. know, th- that's just like a talking head thing, and I feel like that. The more I get into television criticism, I see the same thing where everyone's got to say, this is the greatest, this is the most wonderful, this is... I, t- this is a good pitch. She did it well. Yeah. But it wasn't the carousel because her arc didn't... Her arc throughout all 13 episodes didn't lead up to that one pitch. Sure. With knowing what we knew about Don and what he's going through his family and these nostalgic pictures and the darkened room, I mean, it's it, to me, it's it's absurd. It, it's that you'd say that. I mean, I respect the people that did say that, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. I will play devil's advocate and say that this is this pitch is bigger than just her character. This pitch is Don. This pitch is Pete. This pitch is the connection we see everyone on the planet or in at least in this country having over the Apollo 11. If you want to landing. say that that scene is meaningful in similar ways, because yes. we now have seven years of the weight of these characters. And the fact is Don's glance at Peggy and Peggy's glance at Don as good as anything we've seen in Mad Men. Sure. That has nothing to do mm-hmm. with the pitch. In fact, I think the family supper, at burger chef is a shittier pitch than every table is the family table. I was actually kind of annoyed that they went. It's like that's hmm, yeah, that's not as good as every table's a family table. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it also plays into the war. I mean, the, the Vietnam thing that's happening on the television at every dinner table. Mm-hmm. I mean, she makes that point. That's that's a fair point and a mm-hmm. good one. I I don't know that it's I because I watched the carousel pitch again. Sure. Uh, after this episode. And I, I was not moved in the same way with Peggy's pitch that I was with the carousel pitch. No. And again, it just felt perfect. And again, that's not, that's just seeing it on YouTube. That's Without not the watching it yeah. the whole season. Or in my case, I pretty much marathoned it. And then I got mm-hmm. to that and it was just like, fuck, I rare, I, at that point, I never seen anything like that on television. However, you want to look at this and however much credit you want to give Peggy here, she, this is her carousel moment. Okay, I'll go with that. And, and she is now Don. 
Don's equal. She has risen to the level of yes. Don at the carousel at the height of his powers. She is now that good. Well, I have another problem with that because I feel like Peggy's got – this is Don not at the height of his powers. This is like, say, Don when he first hit his stride. I think her carousel is okay, another yeah. few years down the road. That's not taking anything away right. from Peggy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think that this was her first like home run. Oh my god! I really destroyed the clients mm-hmm. uh, thing, and it's not as good as carousel because she's not in the same place that Don was when he gave the carousel. So yeah, she is just now hitting her stride. Don okay. is solidly into the proud mentor role, and I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic going forward creatively. Sure. That he could be the anti Lou. Yeah, I don't need to generate the ideas. Although and he I did probably, that last episode, he I will pushed bra- her to be better. I will push you. I will yeah. brainstorm with you. I will help you find the best work you can. Yeah, but my best work is probably behind me. Okay, I can buy that. So yeah, I mean, I'm trying not to shit on the episode. I just think people need to yeah. fucking settle down a bit about <laughs> it. Doesn't have to be as good as the carousel pitch for for us to know that Peggy Peggy that second time I've done that yeah. that Peggy has arrived. Sure. There's also, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the mentor type relationship that he has with Peggy. There's mention of the Sinatra song and saying the dad listened to Sinatra, the kids listened to Rolling Stones. I think that that takes us back to last episode where they they were dancing to Frank Sinatra. In my opinion, it defines their roles in this quote unquote family um, in Burger Chef a little bit more clearly because we were speculating about Don being the father, Peggy maybe being the mother. I think that she's also a child, just like Pete is, and Mm -hmm. he's been mentoring her the entire time. Let me ask you a a provocative question. Okay. Did you notice the significant look that Pete gave Peggy when she mentioned her 10-year-old back at home? No, I didn't see that. I thought I saw a definite, like, eye raise, like, you know, go sit up a little straighter because... How many years has it been? Pete's yeah, like doing the math like in his I, head. You know, and, and I, it's like, he's like, you know, hey, this, this, this Peggy, she's a deep old file. Had no idea. <laughs> uh, and that's interesting now that I he's completely free of emotional tanglements. Mm-hmm. Is he going to make a play for Peggy? And what will Oof. Peggy think about that? Ugh, I hope she rejects him a... as fast as she can. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. That would be high up on my huge disappointment. Mad, mad men if they end up together <laughs> in any capacity yeah unfortunate all right uh roger meets don at his house and tells him about the plan to sell to mccann erickson don doesn't want to work for mccann but roger then convinces him that it'll be fine and that he can make it happen and and don kind of acquiesces uh for for his own sake i mean you know he's out if he doesn't did you see did you get the reference look into the reference about marshock Mershock? Yeah, because no. Don's uh, like, don't fool yourself. They won't stay out of our company. And Roger's like, well, what about Mershock? And I did some Googling, and I found a reference to this magazine. There's like this independently published magazine website, which I can't even remember what the name of it is. But it had a uh, history of McCann Erickson, kind of like a, you know, a, a puff piece that they made about themselves. Okay. But they said that um, McCann Erickson had been formulating these ideas about the agency of the future since 1951, and he, which is Marion Harper, one of the principals, saw a unique opportunity in 54. And that year, McCann acquired Marshock and Pratt, 
a business-to-business agency that picked up the piece of, ESO, of an Essos account. However, rather than simply absorbing the agency and merging with McCann's existing Cleveland agency, Harper believed that there was benefit in keeping it separate as a division with its own name and clients. Hmm. Marshawk and Pratt could handle smaller clients than McCann was able to on a profitable basis. And more controversially, he believed that McCann Erickson and Marshawk and Pratt could even handle some competitive accounts since they operated under different names. It represented a new way to grow the advertising business and they described it as an agency with an agency um that was a revolutionary idea at the time it's something that a lot of companies you know echo now uh-huh. but i think it's interesting that what roger and don were afraid of if you look at this timeline scdp or at the time sterling cooper could have been the marshawn of pratt yeah or marshawk and pratt huh so it does this doesn't necessarily the evil empire taking over. It could very yeah. well be exactly what it is. You know, we want to keep it's a it's a way to make fifty cents on a dollar they wouldn't ever had fifty one yeah. cents in fact on okay. a dollar they wouldn't even be profitable in chasing. It's uh, some cool history bits. I like that stuff. That that seeing how the show dovetails into reality. Just total bullshit. That, yeah, you know that Rogers not this isn't Pollyanna wishful thinking. Sure. Uh, so the remaining partners meet in Roger's office where he tells them about the potential buyout and Ted doesn't want any part of the five-year contract until Don pitches him on it. Uh, and basically says, you're going to be fucking miserable when you're not working at all. Uh, I really just got a kick out of Harry busting in and Roger telling him he missed the boat. Yeah. Uh, I, I almost feel bad for Harry, but at the same time, Should've fuck listen. him. He's Should've Harry. Listen to Don, man. Should've yeah, listen to Don. Just sign. Don't don't worry about like negotiating six percent of the partnership and uh, just sign it, man. Yes, You're never sir. gonna be a partner. Yes, sir. Um, and just like the moon landing, this the selling of the company finally does bring all the partners together. I mean, even Cutler at the end is like, that's a lot of money. I'm mm-hmm. on board. Let's do it now that I'm completely outvoted, right? Uh, and have no hope of getting my way. <laughs> but why, that's funny that he—it's weird. Why would he even vote? Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. No, it, uh, it just shows you was know. Fine, all, I get. I get it. Was it an I'm olive branch? Like, look, I'm not going to be. So, is, is this basically so. Wiener settling all family business? Seems like that, it. Like, I don't want. I don't want Lou has been murdered. Uh-huh. You know, Mur- Lou got killed in a revolving door at vestibule. <laughs> Jim Cutler got murdered on a massage table. Harry ate so many White Castles, he exploded. He ex- <laughs> he got killed on the steps of the courthouse. Every- all these <laughs> threats to Don and Roger and the company are being put to bed so that we can put all this agency bullshit behind us and just talk about the characters. I really think so, and I'm happy so about that. It seems that. like, and I'm, yeah, totally. I mean, I didn't see it going down this way but Mm -hmm. it's a very tidy way to just put a a bow on all that and the other interesting thing this does is it might just fundamentally change the relationship between don and joan because don she in this episode says i'm tired of him costing me so much money we've talked about that now don has essentially earned her by way of his clout 1.5 million dollars yeah I, she earned it by sleeping with Herb. Don't get no, me no, no, wrong no, no. there. I'm not even but, going there. Okay. I'm just saying that... They won't do this deal without without Don and without Ted. I'm saying that if... I would like to see Joan and, and Don bury the hatchet 
And I think that sets okay. the stage because yeah, it does. You know, if your best friend then goes and finds a lottery ticket and <laughs> says, "Hey, you know, fifty percent more than what you could you expect. are an asshole if you then hold the grudge past that point. You are for sure because you just got made whole. In fact, you're fifty percent uh-huh. more whole than you thought you were going to be. Yeah, sorry, those eight months where I was struggling. And really annoyed at you. I bet I, she, I can't take those back. Sorry. I bet she's no. really feeling good about the decision she made with Bob about not marrying him. Yeah, <laughs> I assume so. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't need his mansion in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Nope, she can go out and find her own man. No, find the right. love she wants, or just rock on with her own bad self. Either way, in the uh, spinsterhood. After the meeting, Peggy tells Don that they got Burger Chef, and then Don goes downstairs and sees. Bert singing and dancing, something we were extraordinarily confused by during the instant cast. What's your opinion on this scene now? I just I, I was ignorant of the history of the character. And, you know, there's probably some of our um, more mature podcast or podcast listeners that are probably outraged. But you got to realize that Jim and I mm-hmm. have a basically, in my case, Pre nineteen seventy six, and in Jim's case, yeah. a little bit I, longer. Pre eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Come on, big cultural black hole. And I've I've worked to fill some of that, but mm-hmm. fuck no, I didn't know who <laughs> who who the hell's Robert Morse. Right, I I did not know that, and that there, you know, like I even like Broadway musicals, but I've never seen How to Succeed in Business without really trying. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems horrifically sexist from the trailers and the YouTube stuff I have seen. Probably, but now that I know that, and now that I know that that the Wiener knew that, and this is his last thing. Even if this, and Wiener defended it, saying this is part of the language of the show. These death visions, I say that yes, it's a different. It's a different accent, okay. Because this is the only one that wasn't. I'm satisfied that this is the only death dream or vision that wasn't under the influence of alcohol or drugs or yep. being asleep, mm-hmm. and is a wide-eyed sober. But it is part of. He argues it's part of the language of the show, and that this is yeah. you know that he says I. Part of the visual medium is I can illustrate Don's feeling that Don now mm. is relieved. He doesn't have to worry about getting kicked out of his own company. He doesn't have the thing with Megan's over the most important person in the people in his life, uh, his daughter, Peggy, he's made peace with. I'm walking down that stairs and just now the enormity of Bert's loss hits me and mm. that manifests itself when it hits when those atoms of memory hit <laughs> celluloid into a song and dance number. Okay. I'm fine with that. In fact, every time I've seen it, I really get a kick out of it. The fact that he's doing it. Sure. The fact he's doing it uh, in his sock stocking feet. Yes. Yeah, great. It's perfect. How they've laid that. That's something that's paid off for seven years, and it's been a really personality mm-hmm. quirk, but it turned into a, this heartwarming thing. Yeah. And the fact that the man's in his mid-80s and can be that nimble. Yeah. And... Uh, no man you you can't hate on that no definitely not and i I enjoyed it i mean i smile every time i see it yeah Uh, and there's some tom g who were taking me to uh uh, pit uh, you know taking me to count about how contrasting the big moment of fargo last week which i'm not going to spoil okay (laughs) and how i really had a big beef with that Mm-hmm. And 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 going back to Breaking Bad and the seven seven thirty seven over Albuquerque and how that like ruined the experience. Yeah, this is not nearly on that level. In fact, and, and I and, and I found it quite charming. Yeah, I mean you're you're offended by the the, the sheer 
statistical improbability of something. This has nothing to do with that. This is a stylistic head-scratcher. Yeah, yes. This doesn't affect the yes. plot. Like, I, I, I was talking to Tom. I said, okay, if Bobby Draper stumbled through the door, saw his old man's vision, and mm. said, oh, my God, a scary ghost, and then jumped out of the window and died, and Don <laughs> fell to his knees and said, why? Why? And that was the last image. Uh-huh. My feathers would be ruff- ruffled. Okay, I could see that. This no, I and in fact I is almost like it was so far out of left field for Mad Men's perspective, and it, and and really it wasn't mm. even. But that's just kind of the respect I have for the show that I hyperanalyze like this. Yeah, a, a lot of this scene or, or this scene, I think I and I hope says a lot about what's to come. I mean, like you said, Don is finally got this weight lifted off of his shoulders. He no longer has to worry about his job for the next five years at least. And the fact that he's a multimillionaire several times that over certainly at this point. doesn't hurt. Uh, the other thing, though, is this is saying a lot to Don about his priorities and where he needs to get his head at this point. Because, like, I mean, I mean, he says the best things in life are free. The moon belongs to everyone. Stars There's, belong to everyone. Yep. Th- th- it is emphasizing this connection that everyone had during those moments where the moon landing was happening. This is kind of something that Don has been searching for for a very long time. He's tried to find it with Betty and Megan and no one and numerous uh, flings, whatever you want to call them. Sure, no one has ever captured him in any significant way. And I think this this idea of the moon belongs to everyone, this connection, is starting to weigh on Don. He's starting to realize when when he says that the best things in life are free, you don't have to worry about money and success that's not your thing anymore now you need to worry about forming these connections you need to find the moon that is going to connect you to everyone and and i wonder if don or i'm sorry bert's death combined with the moon landing and you know the uniting force of the burger chef table is going to finally get don to see this and look for those connections instead of just his success in his career is it possible that this could be somewhat of a warning Best things in life are free. Everything's fixated on money at this last episode. Mm. That downward spiral for Don. It could well not. I don't know for <laughs> Don, but for Pete and Pe- the people that are most thrilled about this. Gotcha. And Roger, I own ten percent. Yeah, that fucker. <laughs> that fucker. I can buy a bigger tar pit. That's right. This is you, me, you, <laughs> yeah. me. And then he calls Ted out for being pathetic and selfish. <laughs> Fuck you, Pete. <laughs> Pete uh. can't. Ever call anyone out for being pathetic and selfish? No, never. Ah, oh, God, I hope he never becomes self-aware. I yeah. hope he never Pete achieves needs to self-awareness. Stay Pete. Yeah. Yep. All right, and that's the end of the episode. Uh, it, it was a great one, like we said. We were running way long. Hey, it's the fucking finale. I'll make no apologies, and we got no. We got and more I, coming we next loved week. it, and uh, it was a fantastic episode, and we, I really enjoyed watching it. And I think it has a lot of meanings. I mean, we didn't even talk really about Waterloo. I mean, obviously, that's a reference to Bert. Whenever an old guy starts talking about Napoleon, you know, right. he's going to die. But also, it's a reference to the fact that no one comes back from uh, leave, not even Napoleon. Sure, but, it, I mean, it's also a reference to the final fight that Don had here. And it's also, mm. like, there was a really compelling evidence, that picture of Don at his maximum defeat, where he thought he simultaneously lost his marriage and his job, and he's kind of slumped in this... Yeah, this, yeah. this seat, there's a famous painting of Napoleon that is almost in exactly the same position with similar, like, the way their shirts are laying, the way their facial expression. Oddly enough, though, he's got his shoes off. 
I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect that. No, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, there, there's a little bit of, you know, maybe, maybe there was more to that Napoleon stuff than, than, cause I kind of dismissed sure. it of it, but I don't give a shit. I mean, this episode really revolves around the moon landings and yes. I, I think Waterloo is more of a superficial comment than even Apollo 11 was. Right. I mean, that, that's deeper. Right. Okay. Well, what do we have for pimping and feedback? Funny you should ask that. Once again, this podcast has been brought to you graciously by the folks at Hover at Hover.com. In the last two weeks, we've talked about how much we've enjoyed Hover, and we've kind of pitched Hover from the the newbie side of thing. You, you don't, you've got a great idea. You want a domain name. You don't know how to do it. Hover makes it easy. Hover will hold your hand. Hover has no hold tech support. I want to talk about it from an advanced angle. You're the guy that's got your 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 podcast and you've you've maybe you're still on a blogspot.com or you're still on a wordpress.com or maybe you've actually taken a step and you've got your own domain name, which is great. Uh that's the first step at really getting serious, getting professional about it. But there's a question about, you know, you can go to some of these registrars and you can host your email, you can host your website, you can host your DNS records, you can do everything under the sun there. Mm-hmm. You will live to regret that decision if you go down that route. Yeah, I, I think we have a couple times. We, we have. <laughs> there is value to having specialists do their specialist things. Uh, having a hosting company that doesn't have your domain records because what happens when that company has an outage and mm-hmm. you need to still get your email or you need to uh, set up forwarding records or you need to do an Amazon.baldmove.com type thing. Uh, not all plans support that level of sophistication with hover all they do is domain name registration and dns so you can get all that power all that flexibility and they're not trying to be everyone's solution to everything you can go and get a separate hosting account i think there's a tremendous amount of value in not having all your eggs in one basket that reflects what i think is a mature professional approach and that's my advice for all you people out there that are looking to take the next step in professionalism and reliability, and Hover is ready to help you uh, transfer away from those big names that advertise in the Super Bowl and don't give a shit about privacy and security. They're not going to trick you. They got one low price. They get bake all the privacy and security that you need in it, and then go find a hosting account uh, that makes sense for you. Uh, best all of all. If you go to Hover.com and use our promo code Waterloo for this week, you will get 10% off your first order. So it's an extra extra perk for using Hover and uh, for supporting Bald Move. Again, Hover.com, promo code Waterloo, cash it in. A couple other ways you can support Bald Move. We've got subbable.com slash bald move, S-U-B-B-A-B-L-E.com slash bald move. Go there to get the full pitch, but it's simple. It's a voluntary subscription service. We get people to email us all the time, say they love our podcasts. Uh, we bring them some joy. We bring them some happiness. We give them some chuckles. We give them some insight. Uh, we do this on a full-time basis. This is our profession now, Spartan style. So... We really appreciate your support, and Subbable makes it easy to say, hey, want to send you a one-time infusion of cash. We want to sign up for a buck a month, whatever. And the awesome thing is, is every time you spend money at Subbable, it goes into a bank, and you can save up those per- you can save up those dollars and re- refund them for ever-larger perks. And we've got some really cool stuff. In fact, 
uh, at one of the top levels, we will do a custom podcast just for you on whatever the hell you want us to do. You got a favorite movie? You want the Jim and Aaron treatment on? We'll do it. You got a favorite couple episodes of television? We just did one on Metalocalypse. We had a lot of fun with. It's yeah. going to be dropping this week. The sky's the limit. Check it out at subbable.com slash baldmove. And, of course, I've been hawking it for years, amazon.baldmove.com. It's the one that doesn't cost you nothing. You don't have to give us any money. You just have to give Jeff Bezos money, and we steal it right out of his pocket. <laughs> so if you're using Amazon, and there's a lot of great reasons. In fact, another one just dropped this month. If you're an Amazon Prime member. You get a lot of HBO content for free for being a, for being a Prime subscriber. So lots of ways you can support Bald Move. If you go to baldmove.com and click on the support icon, it'll walk you through all of them. And uh, please give our other affiliates, such as Personal Arrogance, The Because Show, Up Yours Downstairs, a listen. We've got so much content. We're doing four ep- We're do- not just it's like Mad every Men. day a week, man. Every We've day. We've got content like every day now. Every day there's something to enjoy on baldmove.com. So if you haven't checked it out lately, uh, didn't know we're doing 24, didn't know we're doing Game of Thrones, didn't know we're doing Fargo, check it out, baldmove.com. All right, enough of that. How about some feedback? Sounds good. We had one noteworthy one from last week. Chuck S. said, listening to last week's cast and what the talking Ginsburg possibly being a Holocaust baby, I recalled that one of the early clients of IBM punch card technology was in 1933, the German census that, among other things, identified citizens by religion and ethnicity. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Just made a list for them. Perfect. Computers are very good at counting things, Jim. I guess so. The American main office put over a million dollars into its German affiliate in order to handle this big new contract. Later, of course, the census information assisted not ease in tracking down Jews and other targeted groups. Yep. So was Goldberg's obsession, hate, fear, the silent operator in a glass booth, one, a reference to IBM's past? Remember Harry's shouted question to the satanic installer about where he could get a good punch card service? <laughs> Just that's, a thought. That's really cool. Good email. I Again, there's a reason it made the last week cut. Yeah. It's very hard to get the last week cut because there's so lots, so many. Hmm. Uh, moving on to current stuff. Simon G said, I love Mad Men so much that to admit an episode has let you down slightly is almost too painful to contemplate, like admitting your child is actually a fat, ugly pain in the ass. <laughs> like Julio. Oh, Arse. I mean, uh... I'm getting I'm getting a whiff of uh, old English from Simon here. Oh, okay. Pain in the arse rather than a gorgeous genius, but I sort of had that feeling with this one, or maybe I would have had that feeling had Bert the Socks sock maniacs dance routine make me question what the <laughs> hell is going on throughout the whole thing roger saving of the company or whatever the hell he's managed to pull off and pete and joan realizing they are instant millionaires it felt almost as unreal as bert's boogie ted's plane stunt felt unreal hmm. uh and all that man in the moon bullshit like that could ever happen in real life who are they trying to kid <laughs> Oh, we got a conspiracy nut here. We do. <laughs> Things that did feel real, though, the death of Don's marriage, out of out with a whimper, not a bang. Don and Peggy's continued respect for each other, and Peggy's pitch felt like she and Don were doing real, solid, tangible work. The stuff that Roger was conjuring up at, was just sleight of hand, empty distraction tactics that really amount to nothing. Uh, well, I mean... Not for Roger. They so amount to neg- a lot for Roger. This is what we call a negative take. And, and there's no shame in having a negative take. And I got to say that that's, sure. the, that's not a really terrible negative take either. No, and I can understand a negative take given the the bizarre nature of the ending of this episode. And the fact that this is an unnatural structure for Mad Men. A seven-episode yes, season that has to work to something that is we're fine with leaving. Because I, I thought uh, one of the other interviews I saw... The wiener give. I can't remember if it was the one 
on YouTube or is the one on the seven wall hat or the one that the vulture had. But he said that I try to structure all of my season finales as a series finale. Hmm. Yeah. And which is way different than like a breaking bad, which tried to structure as a, a cliffhanger, cliffhanger type with thing, yeah. maybe a notable example, uh, exception in season four. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so, so this makes sense. If you're, a little let down, it might just be, you know, watch the episode again. See if it see if it goes away. Uh, come back before next season and watch this episode and see if you still feel like it's a disappointment. Sure. Because I've seen it three times now, and this is one of the few exceptions where I like it more every time I see it. Hmm. Okay. Lots of stuff going on here. Um, Heidi H. says, a note about the credits. Many people talk about the Mad Men opening credits and predict that someone, perhaps Don, will jump from the roof. The roof patio as a final act, I think the key scene is not the fall, but the final scene, which shows the individual back on the couch as though nothing is wrong. My prediction is that Mad Men is about the continual change and rebirth. Don has been falling for a long time, but he always finds a way to reinvent himself in the end. I think it's possible that this will be a hopeful ending for Don as long as he keeps adapting and does not get stuck. Interesting. I like that take. I do, because that completely reframes... And it's it's truthful. It's got that... It's got the... (laughs) It has fact on its side. Yeah, it does have the benefit of having facts on its side. It is topsy-turvy and tumultuous, but there's not a splat at the end. It's a it's a soft landing. and I On an orange couch. <laughs> it feels more and more like that may be the trajectory for Don. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, Jamie B. says, on Peggy and Julio, their re- relationship came out of nowhere, but I still bought it 100%. Peggy's still lonely. Julio's roughly the same age as her baby would be now. But I don't think she regrets her decision to give the baby up. It's clear that she wonders what her life would be like if she hadn't, and Julio gives her that glimpse into what could have been. It would been. be far, far worse. She'd be with Pete, probably. And raising Or at least anchored to Pete. Pete. Yeah. Ugh. It It would be... It would already have a receding hairline. Yes. <laughs> it would be no good. It would probably have raped Nanny by now. Probably, yeah. It's just gross. It's, Rosemary's <laughs> baby's got nothing on that. Peggy and Don, as long as these two are copacetic, all is right in the world. Theirs is a central relationship of the show, and the last two episodes were a happy ending because they're on good terms. And for what it's worth, I don't see even a glimmer of sexual or romantic tension between them. Well, go to fucking hell, Jamie. Uh, I agree with her. Uh, their relationship is above all that. Mm-hmm. Peggy and Ted, hopefully the doors close forever on that relationship, even with Ted coming back to New York City. I'm kind of worried that it's not, because I I don't like these two. Yeah, it's dangerous with Ted making comments about coming back to New York. And if we're talking about this in this finale setting up the stage for next finale, why would you bring him back to New York? Do yeah. we really care about him going through a Don Draper arc of reinventing himself and writing coupons and tags? No, honestly, I don't care about Ted. No. I, I think he's an incidental character. Ted and... Ted was a catalyst, and yeah. his chemical reaction has long since been used up. Really, the only characters I care about are Don, Peggy, and Don's children. I would like him to come back and expect to rekindle things with Peggy and Peggy to tell him to go to hell. And Either when I say favor- Don's children, I really just mean Sally. Bobby yeah. has been incidental, Bobby too. Bobby and I don't... Gene, they're ciphers. Yeah, it's really just Sally, Peggy, and Don. That's I mean, all I care about. Bobby, Bobby's a, a charming dude. I like him, but sure. I haven't been through an arc with him. No, not at all. 
Uh, Ted, or wait, she said she wasn't at her best when she was with him. I was talking about Ted. I hope the wiener lets her find some happiness with a cute handyman instead. I, I, I'm fine with that. Ted, why was Don sent up Ship's Creek for his Hershey pitch, but Ted almost tried to kill himself and the Sunkless clients to zero consequences? Well, Jim doesn't have a boner. <laughs> doesn't doesn't have an anti Ted well, boner. He just went straight out and bought a pint of orange juice. That's why. To mix with his vodka. Okay. He was like, all right, guys, I'm sorry. I will go buy some orange juice. <laughs> we'll make it all good. Lou Avery, he said a few episodes ago that he has a two-year contract. He signed with SCNP around Thanksgiving of 68. Hmm. So let's say he's bound till November 1970, bound like a demon in some kind of pentagram containment <laughs> unit. That means that we'll most likely see him again next season unless there's some kind of loophole in the acquisition. Mm-hmm. They could don him. They could just send him home and pay him. Sure, they could. I would like to see him uh, on a sidewalk. I like to see him selling newspapers in the lobby. Uh, selling off his clothes to Goodwill. I'd like to see him <laughs> plotting these big Machiavelli plans that no one even notices when they go off successfully because he's so irrelevant. All those things I could enjoy. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on to Jeremy N. unless you have some other thoughts. Nope. I thought it's pretty weird that they were suggesting, uh, almost hoping that the Burt Cooper dance routine was a sig- signifier of uh, Don literally losing his group on reality. I think he's talking about us here. And I don't know that's accurate how... Yeah, no, no, I totally was pushing that. I figured that it was a manifestation of death of Burt Cooper finally hitting Don, who having to focus so much of the Burger Chef pitch and his imperiled career was not able to fully process Burt's sudden demise, and possibly his divorce as well until that moment. Mm -hmm. You'd be pretty disappointed if it's eventually revealed that this scene is the first indication that Don is becoming an actual madman. Nah. Nah, I I think it's more along the lines that you said. No, that, that theory didn't even last three hours with me. I went home, rewatched it again. I'm like, nah, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I did some soul searching. Don't really care. Yeah, you don't want Don to go crazy. That's no fun. I haven't seen anyone comment about the older teenage house guest of the Francis household was wearing a USC number 32 OJ Simpson jersey. Please tell me I'm not the only person to notice this. You were the only person to notice and emailed it anyway, Jeremy. Yep. Uh, unless I'm the one hallucinating now. Nope, the juice was loose. <laughs> <laughs> Rampaging and throughout Sunkissed and yeah. uh, Hunky Teen's torsos. Uh, going back real quick to the last email, what if season 7.5 opens with oh God. a shot of a man's chest? Picture this. All right. A man on the beach, a close-up of his chest, completely nippleless. We scroll up, we pan up, and we see Don Draper's face. He's gone crazy. He's chopped off his nipples. Not one, but he had two valves. Yes. He's really backed up. Well, I mean, you know. He How backed sees... up can he be? Does that have a threesome two episodes ago? Yeah. No, that's a good point. <laughs> and and Ginsburg is sitting next to him. Nippleless <laughs> on the beach. No, he's got one nipple. Sure, sure. In the land of no nipples, a <laughs> one-nippled man is king. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and a scene where Don makes a scene... You can't, you can't, you can't construct a sentence with that many scenes, Jeremy. It's not structurally sound. And the scene where Don makes a scene about the breach of contract letter, and Harry tries to insert himself as a partner. I love the shitting grin that Kenny Cosgrove gave oh, as yeah. Harry was summarily dismissed as not yet being a partner. Ken, Pete, and Harry start the series as entry-level equals in early season Mad Men, and I figured that with Harry joining Pete as a partner in the face of Ken potentially giving up his depth perception for the company. Result in Cosgrove quitting, or at the very least, yelling at someone about someone at someone about it. Since this didn't happen, I guess we can take this as further evidence of Ken not being enough of a workaholic to get too worked up about it. 
last they offered him partner and he didn't want it hmm. because he saw you know pointedly referencing the dirty business in his mind with Joan and the Jaguar contract of yep. where that and and Ken is even missing an eye a very a, a decent man it seems like yes no, we've always said that about Ken all right, John M. says, from this last season, seven, episode seven, we learned that Joan has 5%, Pete has 10%, Ted has 20 but how or was, given Bert's demise, the other 65% divided between the other four partners? Ooh. Um, let's put a pin in this, okay. because we have another email about, and I know how much you love talking about partnership percentages, so we're going to... I love it. It's we're, we're, Really, that's all I'm here to do tonight. We wasted an hour and 20 minutes not talking about <laughs> yeah, partnership right. percentages. So. It'd only be fair. Yeah. So let's put a pin on John's, and we'll get down a little bit later uh, to Doug... Uh, well, this has nothing to do with the other. If I, if I actually put these <laughs> in any kind of organized way, it might sag into another percentage... <laughs> I fucked up my control C, control V. Can here. we? I'm just checking with the producer. Can we replace him with an IBM computer? Is that possible? <laughs> Easily. <laughs> Doug L says, What I think made the episode so effective was the way it played on the show's basic thesis that advertising is crusade for our basis materialistic desires when really the things in life that really matter, like love, honesty, and human connection, yeah. as the song says, are free. Yep. That's the essence of Peggy's Pitch. The thing that we are all starved for isn't for hamburgers. Although <laughs> well, they sound pretty good right about yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting hungry. Critically, the episode signals an extraordinary amount of growth for Don on this point. First, he gives the pitch to Peggy instead of keeping it to himself. Mm. He finally yeah. lets Megan go. He gives in to McCann, and in doing so, karmically repays Joan and everyone else whom he costs money. Mm -hmm. Puts their needs above his own need to be in charge. He calls the children to share an important moment in history in their lives with no other agenda rather than to stay with the crew and work on the pitch. Even Cutler's heart grew three sizes by the end. That's why I think Don's eyes are misty during Bert's number. Don finally understands the message that Bert is trying to convey. What gives me pause is the episode's title indicates that Don, like Napoleon, may still wind up back in the same island again and his progress will be for naught. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that title. Um... I think, I think it applies in other areas, certainly, yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping it doesn't apply to Don so much. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think so. I mean... Because it does seem like a breakthrough for him, this entire episode, really. I mean, is, past, no, you know, fighting with Cutler. Napoleon wasn't content to go back to being a general. He wanted to be a dictator. And I think mm. Don is, he wants to be a creative director who is just that. Put in the work. Yep. Yeah. Mike B says, with regard to the second half of season seven, this is why I thought splitting in two didn't make sense for AMC. With shows like Sopranos and Breaking Bad, there was a sense of anticipation about the arc's end. We knew there would be death, destruction, in some cases, redemption, but we wanted to see how it played out, whether they could stick the landing, as Aaron would say. This is why the split season gimmick was so effective in these cases. With Mad Men, there's no landing to stick. Sure, Don might redeem himself, become a better father, pay a price for identity theft, Sally might become a hippie or break religious. Peggy and Joan might find love or not. Sal and Bob Benson might hook up in studio, at Studio 54, <laughs> etc. But none of that is the emotional payoff of a murderous sociopathic criminal being brought to his knees. Seems that the major event that we're anticipating is, drumroll, it turns 1970s and life just goes on. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm challenged to get excited for seven more episodes. I just want it to be over. Do you really want it to be over, Mike? I mean... Interesting. I have not... Enjo stopped enjoying Mad Men, and I... That's the thing. Life has gone on for these characters the entire time. 
And it's interesting because I could argue both sides of, is it harder to stick Mad Men's Landing than Breaking Bad? Because there's hmm. a w- huge, broader amount of endings you could stick with Mad Men as yes. long as it's an emotionally satisfying payoff. Yeah. Whereas Breaking Bad, lots of the storylines just wouldn't fly. Yeah. And I'm not going to, you know, because we're doing Don't this ridiculous. Anything, we're acting yeah. like nobody has watched Breaking Bad. Shame on you if you haven't. But uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to imagine half of the possibilities of being valid because it's like, no, that just wouldn't work karmatically and sure. with the sh- structure. Whereas Mad Men's wide open. I agree. But I will be um, super sad when it's gone. Uh, none of the things he mentioned are things that I need to happen before the end of the series. I don't feel like there there needs to be a certain ending like I, don't I did have with an Breaking Bad. No, I absolutely don't have an agenda for this next half of the season. I had no idea any yeah. of this stuff was going to happen, and but I was still relentlessly watchable and absorbing to see. Exactly. You don't you don't necessarily have an agenda, but you are still thrilled to watch it. Do you think Don's pitch to Ted? is Wiener's pitch to us as an audience. Sure, you might think you're done. Get ready for five think, more you years. You might think you're burnt oh. out. You might think that you want out, but you're going to miss <laughs> this when it's gone. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. A little bit of Mary Sue creator speak there. Sure. Michael P. says, since Don imbibes the occasional adult beverage, I think the series will end in a car accident. Signal 30 <laughs> style. Oh, boy. Maybe it will be Don driving, or maybe they'll go for an iconic ending with Don being the victim of drunk driving. Either way, the final episode will ah, final episode will be entitled M A D D Men. Mothers, mothers against, against drunk Dra- driving yeah. okay. against Don, mothers against <laughs> Don Draper. That's the real group that needs the form. Sure. Uh, Kelly says, I disagree that there's nothing romantic between Peggy and Don in this episode. She mm. brings him and only him a beer. As he opens her can, and he opens her can for Just her. Just like she, you bring your dad a beer. You get I your thought dad this a beer was very sweet and domestic. You brought mm. your dad beers? No, but he never asked for beers. My dad's not a beer guy. Really? What's he drink? Uh, I think he drank liquor when he drank. That makes but, sense. But rarely. Really? Yeah, didn't your drink Your dad didn't often. drink? I, he didn't I recall, need it, honestly. I recall maybe three drinks I ever saw him drink. The man didn't need it. He and was, one of them was rum and coke, which he let me taste when I was like eight, and it was horrible. <laughs> Yeah, he his throttle was stuck to uh, military power pretty much all the time. <laughs> uh, I thought it was very sweet and domestic. I I I feel where you're coming from, Kelly. I feel where I domestic I, in a father daughter way, not domestic in a mother father way. What the fuck? Like yeah, domestic in a promise ring purity ball kind of creepy father daughter relationship. Who? What daughter gets fetches her dad beer? That's a Why mom. wouldn't you? I don't know. The, the stuff about, you know, Frank Sinatra and the dance didn't seem sexual. It seemed very mentorish, very fatherish. He's conflicted. I, I just don't see it. All right. But that's me. Sully from Boston said, a big question I have going forward is how to deal with the nouveau rich partners. Clearly, Don got the message that money doesn't cure problems, but what does he do with it? Money should liberate Joni from what her mother. What is it good for, would you say? Uh, that and war. Money, hua, hua, guar. Uh, money should liberate Joni from her mother, but then what? I can see the show finding its familiar footing with ost- ostentatious. I can't see the show finding its familiar footing with ostentatious wealth floating about. 
As Bert sings, the best things in mm-hmm. life are free, so the money is irrelevant to their interpersonal lives, when, which the show is about. Yes, I agree. It is a mind paralysis to reconcile how these riches affect them going forward. Is the money a Heisenberg-esque banishment from what was supposed to be important to them? Uh, can't do it my way, trapped under the McCann umbrella. Or can they make like Walter White and the money helps them show their loved ones a way out of repeating their mistakes? I think the money is going to be relatively inconsequential next season. I think the money will be buried in barrels under New Mexico. <laughs> okay. Just like in Falling Skies. Just like in <laughs> ER. Yeah. Colin C. said, Jim, I know this topic bores you, but... Oh, boy. 20, 20, 20%. We're, un, we're unpinning it. Mm-hmm. We got some clarification this week about the partnership percentages. We'll learn that Mr. <laughs> Aloof Ted Chagagagaga has 20 fucking That's percent. monster percentage. And Breathless Pete has a measly 10%. Guessing at the others, Cooper Sterling and Ted at 20% each. Cutler Don... 10 to, uh, 12.5% each, mm, Pete 10%, Joan 5%. Got to disagree. Here's what I think happened. Okay. I think that when CGC and SCDP merged, that they split it 60-40. Okay. Or, no, maybe not even 60-40, because somewhere in there, I don't I don't know how, who, who died, Gleason. I don't know how his percentage was marked out and split up afterward right? when he died. Um, but it seems like maybe it was split 60-40 with 60% going to SCDP and the partners there, 40% going to the three partners in CGC. Well, see, okay, so Gleason died. Unless, yeah, Gleason died. Before. That has to go to all the partners. Uh, I don't know. Because you think he died before the merger? There, there's some theory that says that basically, because Jim didn't feel Gleason's death as much as Teddy did. That's true. So there's a lot of theories that this is basically this was um, uh, a CG that then C got added to later. Um, you know, as as their premier admin, they were both creative types. Okay. Uh, one was art. One was copy. Uh, they brought you know Cutler was the ad was the accounts man that got elevated, uh, so that he would be kind of like a you know a lesser share, and that the uh, that. Probably Teddy had more shares to begin with and absorbed more of the shares. Hmm. So you think Cutler has less than Well, we think about 20%. it that when when the, the SCP came into existence, we had Pete, Don, Roger, Bert, and Ted and Jim. Okay. Do you I, I feel like it wasn't a sixty forty. I feel like it was maybe a seventy thirty. But I mean that this is why I think this is interesting, know, but we are literally debate. We're just literally talking out of our ass. We're guessing completely, yeah. It is interesting that, you know, Ted does have a huge advantage over uh, Don and uh, Jim Cutler. It seems like it. Because there's no way in hell Kurt, uh, Cooper and Sterling have less than Ted. No. I, I mean, they... And there's no way that Pete has more or as many as Cutler and Don. I agree, yeah. So I think Colin's numbers so they've here, got to have more than 10%. Well, Curling, Cur- Cooper Sterling Ted has 20% each. Cutler and Don has 12.5 each. Pete has 10, and Joan has 5. That seems correct. That seems as close as correct as you're going to get. And I know the the yeah, maybe the so. Wikipedia article has some numbers, but they're, I mean... They're made up. They have yeah, to be. Yeah, there's nothing based on that. And there was a no. website article written on 
like cracked or something where it has a graphic and stuff. But again, it's not even like there's in, no in Breaking Bad where you can look at a pile of money and kind of guess how much it is. Yeah, no, it's, it's like wild ass guessing. No one has ever said anything about the percentages until now. Uh, we knew that Joan had five. We didn't even know what Pete had until right. this point. So the only percentage we knew until this point was five percent for Joan. That's I mean, it, it could be sixty five percent split four ways between Cooper Sterling, Cutler, Don. Sure. So we. So I don't know. Literally, I, don't know. And again, since apparently it seems that the votes are equal, that's the thing interesting from a dramatic standpoint. And yeah, and also. I don't think it's going to be interesting from a dramatic standpoint because it seems like the Wieners teed this up to basically set the business in stasis. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people liking my five-year jump into the future. No? Yeah. And that, that, you know what? Let's let that. This is already a long-ass cast. Okay, we'll talk about it in the wrap-up. Let's talk about it in the wrap-up. All right, sounds good. Is that all the email we've got? That is all the email. That's not all the email we got. It's all the email we well, made it to. The- <laughs> it's all the email it's fit to read. No, uh, I won't even say that. <laughs> oh Jesus! Rough cuts, as always. We, I mean, I, I mean, don't don't tell any of the other podcasts. Mm-hmm. But Mad Men generates the best emails, and that it's not like, hmm. I, and I'm not denigrating because like Breaking Bad. Has, definitely has a lot of good stuff. It's Game a show that warrants stuff. better emails. I mean, it, it really is a more cerebral show, for sure, than anything else on TV, I would say. And I think that people's life, like, you can pour your own life experience into it in a Absolutely. way that a lot of, like, it's funny that, like, Molly Lambert on Grant Land was talking that when she first went to L.A. and got her dry, a gig as a writer, she was the same age as Peggy Olsen when she started watching Mad Men. Okay, and now she's the same age as and and it's she's she's that it's kind of a weird experience to see her life play out, you know, and Peggy's and how they kind of get intertwined and mm-hmm. like you know I've had some stuff in my life that where I can sympathize with with Roger and Don and God help me even Pete, Pete sure I mean this is a lot of real life stuff yeah. And it was, I thought it was, when I was reading her article, I thought it was interesting because I've had those, you know, when I first started to get into Mad Men, I was in a position where my first marriage had gone to shit and I was, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with all this, in, you know, uh, professional stuff. And I found a lot of stuff not in my success with women and just how badass I was as Don Draper, but a lot of the other stuff. I think this is for a huge swaths and not just for people that grew up in the Mad Men era, children of the Mad Men era. I've sure. even us youngins find a lot that's poignant about this episode this show in, in a way that that a you're never gonna find in breaking bad you're kingpin. never gonna find yeah that's none escapism. of us have been a meth kingpin yeah we haven't we're not walked a, uh, a mile in a meth kingpin shoes it's escapism sure. and it's interesting and it's got a lot of pathos i mean that is how we're funding bald move at the moment but yes yes but other than that i mean the, the we haven't generated one audience, yet no that's next week uh <laughs> The hydrofluoric acid did not work out as planned. Mm-mm. No, it just ate through my bathtub. That was all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I think that's that's one of the reasons that everyone has got something to say about the series. Because even if you don't have uh, terrific insight about the deeper meanings, you can always channel your own life experience and say, I've been in there and I've done this and this is what I think. Yeah. Ultimately, they're they're people. They feel very real. We got lots of more to talk about, I'm sure, next okay. week. Please send us your feedback because it's going to basically be driven by, you know, Jim and I will say some bullshit up front for 10 or 15 minutes. It's all going to be your feedback. 
Uh, make it count at madmen at baldmove.com. Talk us, tell us about what you thought about this season, where you think next season is going to go, uh, your hopes and dreams for all of their favorite characters, just some, some fodder for conversation, and we will talk about it. All right. Sounds good. Also uh, want to mention that uh, if you're looking if you're looking to move on from Mad Men, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We've got a 24 podcast, Live Another Day. If you want to take a <laughs> radical departure yeah. from Mad Men uh, and rich, quiet, slow burn character study, <laughs> uh, you can go to the Jack Bauer Power Hour. Uh-huh. Uh, or, you know, I think that there's a lot of common cause with Fargo. We're covering Fargo, too. Really liking this season. It's a very it's similar kind of slow character study burn, but also has some insane style uh, Breaking Bad type moments. It does have that. It's a little bit of uh, chocolate and peanut butter. Two great tastes taste great together. We're covering them both as well as Game of Thrones. So lots of stuff. Um, Getting ready to maybe do move. the thing that's replacing Mad Men this next week. Halt and Catch Fire. We might be doing that. Maybe. I, I don't know. You haven't seen it yet. I. Yeah. You got an advanced liked copy. Liked it. Liked it. I don't know. I'm scared we'll that see. we got six shows to podcast at certain <laughs> points in June. Yeah. And man, seven. Even working full time, that's that's a lot on our plates. Sure. All right. Well, we'll be back next week to talk more about that, I'm sure, and uh, do a wrap-up for the season. And until then, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you next week. Thank you.